Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino here with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. Today's guest is Eric Twiggs, and we're going to talk about something that really resonates with me and I think will resonate with you, which is the discipline of now, the discipline of getting things done, and why we all, as human beings, struggle with that from time to time, and some of the things that Eric has developed and about his new book called The Discipline of Now what it speaks to in terms of how you and I and all of us can actually get into this this discipline of getting things done so that we can accomplish the things we want to accomplish in our lives, in our businesses, in our careers. So listen closely as Eric Twiggs joins us right now. Welcome, Eric Twiggs, to Business Growth On Purpose. Hey, thank you for having me on your show. It's really an honor. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. So, so Eric, as we always do for our guests, uh, our, our listeners, uh, I'd like to ask you just what do you do and who do you do it for? I am your procrastination prevention partner. I'm the author of The Discipline of Now, and I'm the host of the 30-Minute Hour podcast. And I help entrepreneurs to beat procrastination so they can make more money, get more done, and feel more confident. Wow, that's a that's a lot, and that's a, that's a very important like mission statement. It sounds very missional, like you're you're helping people at a level that is very personal, right? So, a lot of people who are in business don't like to admit that they procrastinate, right? Because it's kind of one of those things that you know, like no, I'm a get it done kind of person, and so on. So, so I'm curious in your work, Eric. Maybe we'll just start. Maybe we just thought like, what does it take for somebody to admit? you know, it's almost like a 12 step program. I am a procrastinator. Right. So like what, what did that look like? And, and is that an important like turning point to actually not being a procrastinator? It is, it is. First off, I help people understand that there's studies out there that say that 95% of the population has some issue with procrastination. Now, I believe the other 5%, they just haven't gotten around to filling out the survey. But, <laughs> but no, it, it's a common problem. And, and the thing is, like, like some people, they, they'll say that, oh, I always procrastinate all the time. That's not usually the case. Like, I have yet to meet someone that procrastinates with everything. Like, I know people who procrastinate at work, but at home, they're just right on schedule. Mm. I know people that put off their household duties, but at work, they're just a machine as far as getting things done and being on time. So the key is really understanding that it, it's context-based. And the, my book is designed to heighten people's self-awareness. because that, That's really the key thing. Really being aware of what's triggering you to procrastinate. And that way you can overcome it. Well, wow, so uh, so give me, if you can, maybe give our audience a little an example of what a trigger might look like. So, so the fundamental reason that people procrastinate is because of discomfort. So there's something that makes that gives you that feeling of discomfort. You just say, I, I don't want to do it. Now, it could be as simple as what they call task aversion, right? It's just, I just don't like doing the task. Like my taxes, I, I just, hey, I, I will put that thing off to the very last minute. I don't like doing that triggers me. I, I just feel, I have this feeling that comes up that I just don't want to do it. And, and for some, some people, it's anxiety. Right. You're mm. giving this presentation. You, you're, you've never done a podcast. You're doing your first episode. You know, oh, you're nervous. So it's easier to, to as far as the anxiety, you, you take relief in 
going to your social media stream and getting that dopamine rush. Oh, hey, I got a got a new like on my video. Oh, that's excellent. Okay, but so so those are discomfort is at the root. And if you really and it, sometimes it helps to have an outside person, like a mentor, a coach, to really make you aware of this pattern of procrastination. So that way you can start to attack it. Wow. So now you, you, what I love about the title of your book is just very like, it, it feels like meaty, like, you know, the discipline of now. So I love that. Um, so what is like that discipline? Like, what does that look like when somebody's actually living, if you meet somebody and they're living in the discipline of now, what does that look like? So you can have two types of people, right? They both go to the same conference. They both sit in the same session. They both hear the great idea. You talk to one person who is a good performer on that Monday and he hasn't gotten around the following Monday. He hasn't gotten around to implement the idea yet because he's catching up from getting back. Yeah. And then you talk to the, the person who gets great results. They've already put it in play. That person with great results, they have the discipline of now. And that, that's the separator, right? I mean, if you look at it, the person that gets great results and the person that gets good results, in a lot of cases, they have a similar level of know-how. They know mm -hmm. a lot of the same things, but that separator is the great result person. They can get themselves to do what they need to do, whether they feel like it or not. And that's what the discipline of now is all about. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is just the way you framed that. I, I, I love that, Eric, is, is the thought that they can make, they can kind of activate themselves even if they don't want to. Like they, they, they're, they're able to move despite the fact that their feelings don't want to move in that direction. So now that's a big leap for a lot of people. So, you know, often people want to be in careers, jobs, situations where their passion flows. Right. So like if you're a painter, you paint, you don't, you know, Van Gogh didn't have to be prodded to paint. He, he couldn't help but paint. Right. But not all of us have Van Gogh type career paths. Right. So like, you know, some of us just got like, a job or we own, you know, owning a business and you just got to go into the office and you got to do those things. But there are things within that, that maybe you wish you could put off. For example, I find a lot of times with owners letting go of somebody who really it's time for them to go is something they can put off. So sometimes those, and, and what you said about discomfort really comes to mind there. They don't want to be the bad guy that whatever those things are. So is there something in this discipline that can become habit forming? Like, is there some, something you could like a reverse trigger maybe, or something that, that just gets you into that now pattern? Sure. So it, it really depends on what the trigger is, but there's a couple of things, right? One of the things is that clarity is the starting point of success. I say that in the book, I've got a whole chapter on getting clear. I think it really helps to make sure you're clear on your North star, your vision, and that can help to overcome some of the procrastination that we see in the work setting or even as a business owner. So if you're, as a business owner, if you're really clear on your vision, you're clear on your company's values, it makes it easier to have those difficult conversations because now you can line up, you can say, okay, here, here are the company's values. Here's where we're trying to go. Does this person match where we're trying to go? And if the answer is no, it makes it easier to have that type of conversation. Right. So lacking that clarity, you just kind of have a feeling this person's not a fit, but you can't really articulate why. So now you're just like a bad guy letting somebody, you know, saying tons. Of, and that's an extreme example, but it could be a, a lot. It could be changing somebody's responsibilities. And 
And boy, Ralph's really not going to like it when I tell him he can't be over that responsibility. He has to do this instead, that kind of conversation. But when you have that North Star, that clarity of what we're all trying to do, it becomes easier to objectively look at the facts, right? So now what's interesting about this is, and you, you said something at the outset, Eric, that I think was very important, is that there are people who are machines at work, but can't seem to get the garbage out to the, you know, to the curb. <laughs> hey, look, I, I, are you talking about me? Is that what you <laughs> You know, so that's a very, you know, I mean, to this day, we've been living for like 17 years. I had to say, honey, which day is it again, you know, for the tra- and recycling? Because they're on different days and on different weeks for the recycling, right? So, and, uh, but she's patient with me. So that's good. It's, it's been, it's been over 30 years. So that, that helps. But, but, you know, it's interesting, right? So, so it's not just, if I'm hearing you correctly, Eric, it's not that somebody is a procrastinator. Somebody can procrastinate, but that doesn't mean that's their destiny. Thank you. That's a great point. And it's, you have to be careful with identity statements, right? Because people will say, I am a procrastinator, right? And we tend to act out in accordance to who we believe we are. And whatever comes after I am, you're going to do that. You'll have a tendency to, to carry that out. Now, procrastination is a habit that you can overcome. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. You may have procrastinated yesterday, but yesterday ended last night. You can do something different today. But I think that's critical. And that's something I help people with to not say that to you can do something different. You can change it. You can put things in place to overcome that. Wow. So, yeah. So the power of of an I am statement, the power, I mean, even, you know, you think about it as parents, right? So I have three kids that are all older and and out, but, uh, but when you say to a kid, and I've seen parents do, you are this or you are that, kids take you at, at your word and they believe because you're the authority in their life, right? So, and, and this would fall into that kind of category, I think. So, sorry, you, you do a lot of work, you know, clearly in this procrastination area, but, you know, it sounds like a lot of it is, is very helpful from a leadership development point of view and helping people be more effective, productive, and so on. Aside from procrastination as a thing, what else is there that when you coach people, you find that you have to help them with so they can be, you know, be all they can be? Well, the biggest issue is the mindset. That's the, yes, what's the number one thing that, that holds entrepreneurs back or people back in general from moving forward, being, like you said, being what they could be, it's the mindset. And, and in the book, I go through the procrastination prevention pyramid and that the foundation of the pyramid, it's all about the attitude and how you think. And it it could be just that identity issue. It could be just misguided beliefs. The biggest thing I see is that we're wired for negativity, right? So so your brain is trying to keep you safe. And so it's always putting out these what-if scenarios. It's all about negativity. Studies show that 80% of the average person's self-talk is negative about what can go wrong. So if you're not aware, you're just, you'll become a pessimist. You really have to counter that by just like, like one of the things I help people is they, they have to write down their wins. I have people, you have to start a win log. You have to tell them care how small it is. You know, anything that promotes your professional or your personal health is considered a win. And this has been a game changer for people. When they start, the more you write your wins down, the more wins you have to write down because you start really focusing on it. And that is what helps to propel people. They overcome procrastination. They start doing better in their business. 
But that mentality and that mindset is critical. Well, now, Eric, is there is there a risk? Somebody listening to this might say, well, you know, do we all have to turn into type A, you know, production machines? Is that all there is to life? No, no, you don't have to be a matter of fact, I even get into the personalities because, again, the bottom line, it's all about awareness. It's all about your goals and your your vision and what's the path to get there. But you just have to you have to know yourself. So for me, for example, I'm I'm a type A personality. I can get up at 430 in the morning and I can do certain things. But there's certain personality types. You're more externally motivated. So if you know that about yourself and you know to get to your goal, you need that external encouragement. You can put yourself in that environment. Make sure you're getting into the association. So if you're you have a fitness goal that for me, I can just get up at 430 in the morning, go to the gym. I can do that every day. But for some people, maybe you need to get a, a group and the group you meet at the gym and you've got that external accountability. You need to hire a fitness instructor who's going to be waiting on you that you're paying for. So you know, you don't. I'm glad you brought this up because you don't. Society wants you to think, you know, if you read all these books, oh, you've got to be a grinder. You've got to be that person that wakes up at three in the morning and you've gotten everything done by six. You don't have to be that personality type. You just have to have the level of self-awareness to make necessary adjustments. Well, that that's that's encouraging, I think, because, you know, the reality is, uh, and, I, and I love the way you put it, you know, we're not all wired the same, right? So it doesn't invalidate somebody who's a little bit more, you know, chill and relaxed about things, but they still have desires for their life. And that usually means certain actions have to be taken. Even the most relaxed person is going to have to pay for the hammock that they're going to, that they're going to lie down. <laughs> right? And if they want somebody bringing pina coladas, I mean, they have to, they have to earn some money to get that to happen. Right. So, so that's, that's interesting. Right. As, as, as we think about that. So as a leader, right. So a lot of our audience on our podcast tend to be uh, business owners who lead teams. How can they translate some of these principles to help their team be more effective? Besides getting everybody getting a copy of the discipline of now, which is, you know, could be a good idea. But as a, as a day-to-day manager, leader, you know, running a 10-person, 20-person team, how can I identify some of these things practically without being, let's say, a master coach like yourself and just help people be better at, at, at accomplishing some of these things? I, I think the, the first thing is it starts with you as the leader. Right. I think whether you're dealing with kids, whether you're dealing with people, I think more things are caught than taught. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that they look at what you do. They, they, they're watching you. Like if you can say everybody, hey, you need to be on time. But they'll remember that one day of the month that you were 10 minutes late. Mm-hmm. So, so you I think the first step is to really mirror the, the desired behavior and make sure that you're practicing the principles and that you're not procrastinating and that you're, you know, getting things done. And then the other key is really, by, just by the having, way, that, that's, that's a very, like people listening might say, well, I was with you until the part where I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to have to do anything. right? Yeah. <laughs> I want them to be better. <laughs> but that is the key because they're watching. And that's why, if you look at it, even if you look at sports, if you notice, teams tend to take the personality of the leader. Mm-hmm. They, they tend to take because they're just watching you. And, and you can, you say something, but if your actions aren't aligned, 
you're just going to have problems. So the first thing is you just have to be the, you have to work to be the example of what it is. That, and that may require you getting a, it's self-awareness, right? You may say, I'm not there yet, Eric. This is a problem. Maybe you need a coach. Maybe you need a, there's a, a mentor somewhere in your network that's already there. Maybe an accountability partner. But that, I think that's really first and foremost. And then the next thing is really having open lines of communication. Most organizations have poor communication. Oh, for sure. And I can say that just from the organizations that I work with and I help. I, I read something interesting in this book. It's called Amplify Your Influence. They said that the average organization loses $11,000 per employee per year in productivity because of poor communication. So I, I think you really need to have meeting rhythms, one-on-ones. I think you have, I always tell people, you have to err on the side of over-communicating. Okay. Find different ways to say the same thing. All right. And that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of very long meetings. It could be right. more like huddles or check-ins and stuff, right? Morning huddles, one-on-ones, but just having really just the open lines of communication with people just to, to follow up. Because I mean, that where things go wrong is we just assume, hey, I'm going to put something out there and everybody's just going to do it and it's going to be great. But, but you're going to run up against that resistance. And I, I think you have to have the, the, the system for follow-up in place. Well, you know, it kind of makes me think about a, a slightly different situation, which is somebody who takes over either somebody buys a business or somebody gets promoted to a role. So it's like the new sheriff. Right. And meanwhile, you have, you know, everybody was there already for the last five, six years. Who are you? You know, that kind of thing. So some of that's really challenging to bring that about. So how long should somebody be kind of more observing than trying to make change if they're the new, the new kid on the block? Well, I think it depends on the situation, but generally speaking, anytime I've gone into a new situation, like, so my background, I was, a, I, I was a district manager in automotive service at one point at 17 locations, 500 employees, and I was constantly taking over different districts of responsibility. Okay. So my general approach was to listen and just to talk to people and just to see kind of what was working and what wasn't. And what I, what I see people make the mistake is that they feel like they just have to fix things. They have to put, put in things their way. But I, I try to get a feel for, I can't tell you how many times, like someone says, oh, like my prep, my first time replacement will tell me, oh, Joe, I'm telling you he's no good. And you're going to have to replace him. And then I start working with Joe and Joe is one of my best people. Hmm. And then they say, oh, Mary, Mary, she's great. And then Mary doesn't last 30 days with me. So, <laughs> So it's like I've learned just to really listen um, and, and then make adjustments from there. So I don't know if there's a set period of time, but I just think it's a huge mistake to kind of go in just with your agenda without first listening and, and seeing, uh, seeing where the issues are, what's working, what's not working. Yeah, and I've definitely seen the kind of senior leader come into an organization and, uh, you know, they're so convinced they're all that in a bag of chips, too, you know, so they just like it's boom they just come in and they tear everything up and it kills morale and it kills productivity for at least a year maybe eventually they'll put their system in place with the people they want to put in place but it seems to be there's a better way to do that and uh, so I, I, pre I appreciate the comment i think that is the listening part clearly 
when I come in and work with an owner who wants to think about like growth at a holistic level, first thing I do is I say, listen, I, I just need to meet your folks and I'm not there. And when I meet with them, I just say, look, I'm, I have no agenda other than to understand your world. And let me understand that. That's the first thing, because otherwise you come in, especially as an outside, like a third party, which you or I would be, it's very easy for them to say, well, we'll just wait this guy out till, till, <laughs> till the boss tires of them. And then we'll go back to do what we're going to do anyway. So no, this, this is great. So, so Eric, just uh, something that not everybody's taking advantage of, you know, any kind of like executive coaching and so on. And, and some of the stuff that you do with people just, Tell us a little bit about how that is working with somebody. Like if somebody listening to this said, hey, I actually, uh, and we'll get to how to contact you in a moment, but I actually want to get a little bit into just how that looks. Somebody who hasn't done that kind of coaching before, how, what should they be looking for? That's the other thing, maybe in, in their area. So you mentioned that before. What should they be looking for? How should that pattern work out for, the, for it to be successful? In, what do you mean, as far as in the coaching relationship? Yeah, in the coaching relationship for? for you, see, especially in this area of like, getting to a discipline of now mindset? Well, I, I think the big thing is you have to get out of your own head, right? You, you have to recognize that what got you here won't get you there. The biggest thing too, is you have to recognize that you have blind spots. We all have blind spots. We all have things that we just don't see that are areas of improvement. And you have to, if you, the longer you resist the coaching, the less success you'll have. And, and I'm telling you, I, I've had experiences with people who, if you saw them on paper, they weren't the most gifted and talented people, but they had a lot of success because literally they would do whatever I said. Okay. <laughs> if I said, you need to go paint your office purple, you want to have success. When we get on that next call, their office is painted purple or they're calling me saying, hey, what shade of purple do you, do you think I should paint the office? That type of mindset tends to succeed with the coaching. The people that don't succeed are the people who think they know everything. Mm. I've had people that have a lot of talent. They, they're smart, but it's, oh, you know, they, you, let, let's say I'm teaching a, a course and then they, oh, I already knew all of that. Yeah, I, I can really teach this class. And then you look, that person's results in their business are terrible. And just about every case where someone has said that to me. So the key is just really being open-minded you almost have to, and this is something I've, I've tried to do. You almost have to go into it pretending like you know nothing just, mm -hmm. and just being, be the dumbest bunny in the hut. Just, okay. <laughs> and, and really go from there. I think that's really the key to benefiting from the coaching relationship. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you, you, the way you put it, uh, Eric, because at some point you almost say like, why did you hire me then? If, <laughs> yeah. You've already got it figured out. <laughs> you got it figured out, right? And and I've I've had you know over the long arc of time, I've had clients that I call them. I know, I know clients. Whatever you say, I know, I know, I know, I know. And and, right. and you know, I say, okay, well, then one of us is superfluous because then you know, then you must know and and so on. So I I really do appreciate that, and I, I feel very much the same way, Eric. I, I I love to work with somebody who's smart, willing to learn, but also humble enough to say, I don't know everything. So you can work with somebody like that. You can actually get excited working with somebody like that uh, because they're they're actually a sponge and, and, and ready to work with you. So Eric, if somebody listening to this today uh, wanted to know more about you, your practice, how to even work with you, where should they go? Go to my website, Eric M. Twiggs, that's E-R-I-C-M Twiggs, T-W-I-G-G-S dot com. 
And there you can see all my contact information. You can get a copy of my book, The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles to Overcome Procrastination. Right. And your book's also on Amazon, correct? It's on Amazon. Absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. Eric Twiggs, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, thanks for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. Appreciate it. This was fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.